United and Resilient, a podcast designed to help heal and support the El Paso community. Hello, I'm your host, Mariana Sierra, Outreach Coordinator for the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center, a program of United Way of El Paso County. We are dedicated to serve those who were impacted directly or indirectly by August 3rd. Join us on the journey to long-term recovery as we have honest conversations with local leaders, mental health specialists, and fellow El Pasoans who share their stories and expertise. We feature topics that influence and impact the vitality and resilience of our community. We are El Paso United, and together we heal. Juntos sanamos. listener, before we begin, a note of warning. The topic we're about to explore contains a mention of the mass casualty event and a description of the events that unfolded thereafter. This episode may not be suitable for everyone. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of United and Resilient. Thank you so much for being here. As part of our long-term goals, the El Paso United Family Resiliency Center is focused on increasing the understanding of mental health by providing education on the science of trauma-induced stress, as well as removing stigmas. We understand that anxiety is a natural response to stress. However, how can we cope and navigate? For this month's episode, we have an insightful conversation with Jasmine Silva, a local LPC and registered child therapist from Counseling El Paso. We'll speak on anxiety and other stress indicators, and throughout our conversation, Jasmine will explain to us what anxiety really is. We'll also share tools and education that can help us navigate our emotions whenever we manifest anxiety within. Jasmine, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to United and Resilient. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your platform with me and me to your community, to our community. And uh, yes, so my name is Jasmine, Jasmine Silva, and I'm what you call a licensed professional counselor. I also, um, um, I'm also what you call a registered play therapist. Um, and I have a deep love for this field. Um, it's a calling that I value very, very, very much. And um, I, I conceptualize from different lenses. Maybe I can share a little bit about that. Basically, I see things from from a trauma lens. I understand how trauma happens, how it can impact us, but also ways to be able to repair some of the maybe uh, injuries that we may be holding on inside. And then I also see things from an attachment lens. I understand how important attachment is, the development of having um, and then recognizing emotional needs and uh Play is part of me. I love expressive work, uh, incorporating artistic expressive modalities uh, as as I am a play therapist. So So Jasmine, can you tell us a little bit about the work um, that you do with Counseling El Paso and what is it that you guys do for the community? Oh, thank you. Oh, yes, of course. Um, So I'm I'm what you call a child and family therapist. At least that's my, my clinical identity that I have. I, I see I see the individual, but I also see uh, the systemic lens. Um, we're not we don't exist in isolation and understand the different layers and nuances when it comes to social interactions, um, both how they can impact us and how we impact um, uh, them as well. 
And um, here at Counseling of El Paso, we have different providers as well, but our mission is to provide high quality mental health services for the community. So basically providing um, counseling, um, individual therapy, um, hypnotherapy, which is we have some uh, uh, providers who specialize in that. So, um, yeah, we, we're, we're just deeply committed to the work of helping this beautiful thing that we have here and here. <laughs> That's wonderful. and. Well, today we're going to talk about something, like I said in the beginning, that comes close to my heart. I've had my own journey with anxiety and stress indicators, and I'm excited. I'm excited to share my story as well, to share your expertise with our audience, because I think that anxiety is something so common that we all are dealing with, especially with the pandemic going on, right? Especially with Mm -hmm. everything that's going on in the world. So I guess my first question would be, Jasmine, what is anxiety? So anxiety, I, I would like to invite it as, uh, as a human experience that we have. Well, every human being that, you know, we've come in touch uh, with anxiety at some point. But I want to invite uh, a perspective from a spectrum, a spectrum where it's helpful and it's adaptive. Uh, to and and in some cl- in some cases it's actually very pleasant. People actually seek. I uh, will reframe it and, and explain a little bit more. But then there is the other point where it's unhelpful and it causes symptoms and a lot of distress in individuals. So I want to invite it sort of like a light spectrum. That's how it can range for individuals. Um, So basically, it's a psychophysiological response to an internal or an external situation. So basically what happens is our body can, it could be internal, meaning it could occur in our um, a thought can emerge, a body sensation or an emotion can get activated. Or there could be an external trigger, an external stressor that can activate um, our hyperarousal, which is me- which means that our stomach starts. We start feeling something in our stomach. That's the part of the uh, psychophysiological part of it. We feel stomach sensations. Individuals feel their heart racing. Um, individuals sometimes describe having racing thoughts, not able to, maybe they have tunnel vision, um, palpitations, things like that. And that means that adrenaline is starting to, uh, adrenaline and cortisol are starting to take over. That's what's being expressed. And I think for me, anxiety, it's, it's been a journey. And I think I don't remember or I don't recall a time where I didn't face anxiety. Um, And for me, now I see it now that you describe, you know, all the, you know, common indicators or signs such as palpitations and racing thoughts. um, I once saw it as a bad thing. I once saw it as something that I hated. And now I see it as um something that's trying to protect me and indicate something within me or within my my surroundings. Um, now knowing that it's a very common response and it's something that, you know, we all deal with it. What are some of the signs that we should look for? Like, I just, I'm just trying to understand where is something that we can learn how to cope and when is something that we need, you know, professional guidance and, and help? How can we know the difference between being anxious 
and having an anxiety disorder. So basically, I'd like to maybe kind of go back to the spectrum. I really want to um, affirm to what you you just described in regards to reframing um, the intention behind it and being um, like what you described right now is like seeing it from a lens of protection. It's a protective mechanism and that it's uh, it's an ally and a resource uh, from from trying to protect from maybe an external threat or a lack of safety. So kind of going back to the spectrum. So just so that it can give context in some in some cases, we actually seek it. If you think about it, um, some individuals, we like to go on 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 maybe a roller coaster ride or some individuals like to do bungee jumping. They seek the adrenaline rush and for them, it's pleasant. Um, the only difference when it's pleasant and unpleasant, a lot of the times we have the intention, we feel a sense of control over it. We know what we're seeking versus when there is a, a panic attack and we don't know what's going on. It feels like there's something wrong with us. It feels like our body is decompensating in some way, in, especially for first timers who've had a panic attack and they aren't familiar that they're experiencing that. Um, it can be very unpleasant. So one of the things that happens with symptoms of anxiety is that individuals don't know why they're feeling what they're feeling. They're, they're, they're trying to figure out why they feel the way they do, but a lot of the times that's where it's very unpleasant for them. Versus on the other end, if we are intentionally seeking some of those symptoms, that's some of those somatic sensations, that's where it's different for us. Um, however, whenever uh, we do, we do need to consider uh, seeking a, a mental health provider, maybe guidance is whenever we notice that it's really interfering with our daily functioning, our daily, uh, uh, our day to day work, um, uh, taking care of ourselves, maybe even engaging socially, because then that's where we, it may, may impact just our overall wellness, our mental health. So if you notice that there's a, a, a moderate or severe level of uh, avoidance, not wanting to do certain things, that's where um, that might be a good opportunity to be able to consider, hey, um, I might need to consult with somebody else to be able to get more guidance. Perfect. And um, my next question would be, uh, Jasmine, there, there are many types of anxiety disorders. And, you know, I think anxiety can manifest in many, many ways. However, what are some of the most common that we can manifest? What are the most common that you see in your practice? Okay, got it. So one of the things that um, um, we, we, we know, I guess, in, in the mental health field is we always check the body and uh, not that we, you know, administer any exams or lab results or anything like that. But we we ask uh, about some uh, of the of the daily habits. So one of the things that uh, comes up is what happens to our appetite. So sometimes for some individuals who feel anxious, sometimes they either overeat or their, their appetite goes away. Uh, for some individuals, they have trouble sleeping because they're thinking and thinking and thinking and having a lot of recurrent thoughts at night. Um, 
uh, ruminating thoughts is a sign. So if it's impacting their sleep, that's something that we look at too. And then what are the, what is the thought content? What are you thinking about? So there we do have to look at a time as a continuum too. Are we thinking a lot about present worries or a lot about future worries? Um, A lot of the times for, for um, if, if we're thinking a lot about the present, we're thinking about things in regards to safety, security, and social worries. That's those are typical themes in the present, but they could also manifest itself through the future. What is my future going to look like? What ifs are very common? What if this? What if that? And so on. And then um, the the heart, um, the way the heart, if their heart is beating really fast, if they describe, I feel like um, chest pain, it actually goes to our chest. Our heart is beating very fast. And, um, and uh, when that occurs, it goes to, to this part of the body. For some individuals, it goes to their stomach. They, ha- they feel a nod or a pressure, and then they have to go to the restroom. Some individuals get sweaty hands, sweaty palms, or just restlessness, a lot of shaking. For some individuals, their body temperature actually changes. They feel really hot. They feel like they can't breathe. So those are different elements that we have to consider whenever they're experiencing that. And then, of course, a common emotion is fear and worry um, that something bad is going to happen. One of the things that I wanted to share, too, when we kind of look at the continuum about like the the spectrum that I was describing. So let's say I go on a roller coaster ride, right? And I'm going to be, I'm going to experience the adrenaline. The difference too between that and not knowing what's going on, which is where it's very unpleasant. I don't know what's going on with my body type of thing. Um, there's a release of that charge. There is, let's say you, you throw your hands up in the air when you are in the roller coaster uh, ride, you scream, you yell, you laugh, you high five one another and you do it all over again. There was a release of the charge of the experience when we, ex- we experience anxiety and we are first, we're trying to figure out what's going on. What is it about? What activated it? What triggered it? We don't have a release typically, and that's held in the body and held in the body. And a lot of the times what happens is that we start to d- build up stress and stress and stress over time to the point that there is a level of irritabilityness, uh, irritableness in the body too, in our temperament, in just our window of tolerance too. I, I love that example. I love it. Thank you for sharing it. I now going back to something that you said um, about the future and the past. I remember clearly having a conversation with someone, and we were talking about anxiety, and I was sharing with this person that when I felt most anxious was when I was thinking about my future mm-hmm. and the expectations I had for my future. And when I felt sad, I was thinking about my past and the things that I wish would have gone differently or I wish I could change. And when I learned that when I was learning how to cope with my anxiety and with the stress indicators, when I learned that if I live in my present, that's for me a way to cope with everything 
you know, just to be present. And I think I've shared this a couple of times now through this podcast, you know, through meditation where I'm trying to figure out what's going on with my body. And then I bring my body again, present. That's when I, I have that release, if that makes sense, you know, that, that release that you're talking about. You know, one of the things that I also deal with a lot is um, intrusive thoughts and how they can trigger, you know, my anxiety. So could you briefly explain, you know, what are intrusive thoughts and how they can trigger um, someone's anxiety? Okay, beautiful. Yes, of course. But first, I want to um, comment and acknowledge how beautiful you would you just said right now, uh, because uh, mindfulness and being present in the here and now is our natural state, by the way, that is our natural state, but life experiences can lead us either one way or another way, future or past. Um, and let me add one of the things that does occur when we go through traumatic experiences or anything that activates a high level of stress, joy goes away. It's the first thing that goes away. And that is also um, where we are present. Present and joy, if you notice, they're typically very present. Um, they're in the here and now experiences they're connected to. Um, and yes, meditation is a form of being able to release because it creates coherence, uh, mind, body, and, and spirit. Now, in regards to intrusive thoughts, those are basically unwanted thoughts. They're, they don't feel like they're our own. One of the things that happens with intrusive thoughts, there are elements to it. It could be like um, they, they are... Uh, it's possible that they are fragments of memories that we have experienced. It might be that we are driving by, we see a vehicle that is a certain color, and we're just a, a driving by, but maybe a couple of minutes later, our our mind sends us a fragment uh, through a thought. It could be an image or a thought that we have. It reminds us of a particular time, or in some cases it can feel like a voice, um, sort of like uh, something bad is gonna happen type of thing. And when that happens, it's very unpleasant for the individual because it feels like we don't know what to trust. It feels as if we don't, we, we feel disoriented sometimes because if it activates either a traumatic memory or an adverse experience, um, uh, when that occurs, uh, we, we can become disoriented. It can feel like now we're in the past or we're in the future. We can become disoriented even of, of, of a of situation, we might be having a conversation and we're like, we don't know we're having a conversation or the context where we're at. So that's what occurs with disorientation. And there's nothing much uh, more than anxiety provoking that not knowing what to trust, to trust our reality. So that's the thing about intrusive thoughts that sometimes it can lead to, to situations where we feel so disoriented. And, just, and, and the opposite of that being oriented is what you were describing. Present, I am here, this is now. Um, I am present, I am speaking to you. And that, that, that would be like orientation. Mm -hmm. And maybe we can talk a little bit about coping tools and, and you know, oh, yes. things that we have I'll learned. Just, uh -huh. But one of the things that I really wanted to discuss with you, Jasmine, is that, as you know, our region, our community has gone through 
difficult adversities recently, you know, including August 3rd, adding now the pandemic, um, adding on, you know, the violence that we've seen, you know, with our sister city, adding on, you know, the immigrant influx um, recently as well. Now, I'm wondering, how has these scenarios increased levels of anxiety in our community? Basically, um, I like to frame situations, uh, world issues that are going on um, as collective trauma. So right now we are experiencing a, a collective trauma. We're all part of it. Collectively, we're experiencing it. Um, And then one of the things that occurs is that um, I want to talk a little bit about the bystander effect, too. Um, So what happens is as we are witnessing, even through the news and becoming aware of things, uh, it can it can cause individuals to feel a sense of impotence or powerlessness or helplessness, which is also an element sometimes of anxiety. We feel powerless. We feel helpless. We feel that circumstances are happening to us and our internal locus of control feels so limited. It's as if we don't have any power or say in our circumstances. So, um, As a community, of course, um, August 3rd was a tragedy that impacted us here. And I I believe even in in, it it just it's surrounded and echoed in all of our country because it, it was a very targeted tragedy. Um, and then there, we, what we have to look at, too, is um, there. there is also cultural uh, trauma, too, that has to be very well addressed because it was very racially targeted um, event, uh, too. So because of that, it can impact our level of safety, our ability to feel safe enough. And uh, that is one of the things that we need to be able to, that's the first element that needs to be addressed when we're addressing symptoms of anxiety. How safe do I feel um, in my in my environment, in my social uh, uh, interactions, my support system? So that, those are the elements that occur. What's the security and safety um, that I'm that the quality of those elements? Jasmine, I also wonder what is research showing um, talking about with this collective trauma that you're talking about? I'm wondering what is research showing now, you know, that we're shaping and adapting to all of these things that we're seeing? How is our anxiety going to change or are we going to manifest it in different ways? I, I, I'll i share this with you. I believe that they're going to be doing research, collective and quantitative research from 2020, from the pandemic, everything that occurred from here for decades, probably to be able to see what the long-term effects and impacts have been on this. I will say that from my understanding, um, the one impact is uh, children and adolescents from the current pandemic has had a lot of uh, a higher increase. I can't give you a number, but from the latest research, they have been the ones who have been impacted um, the most. I believe also the geriatric uh, community as well. Um, the things about children is if we think about their development, uh, it, it, they're they're developing, and there was a this really impacted their social, their academic, 
And then there also their level of safety too, because it felt like this was an external threat, but invisible. It wasn't so so um, so clear and visible uh, as other forms of threats. Um, so yes, that's the only thing that that comes to my mind. Um, I do know that um, we go through waves. So I always have a, a chart that I like to talk about whenever we go through experiences. And, and this was by SAMHSA. So basically we go through the pre-disaster phase. That's where we can kind of sense that something off is going on. And then we go through the impact point. Everybody can have a different impact point. So if we think about, if we were to ask everyone, what, when did it really hit you that the pandemic is, was occurring? Everybody's gonna have a different story. If we ask individuals on August 3rd, when do you remember first hearing the news? Everyone's gonna remember that impact story because there is a high level of emotion and then high body response. The body was activated as well. And then there is a point, the heroic point, and then there is a honeymoon period as well. Then there are waves of disillusionment a lot of the times. I will say that a lot of times when we experience the anniversary, we actually kind of go back. We remember, we reflect, and we start experiencing perhaps some of the same uh, or similar things that we experienced on the day that we remembered. And as you mentioned, you know, the one year mark, um, well, you know, the, the FRC, when we hit the one year mark last year, um, we were really thinking about this can be triggering for our community. This can evoke emotions, unresolved feelings. Um, and that's why we wanted to be there for the community and really, um, you know, advocate for the fact that. It doesn't matter if it happened a year ago. It doesn't matter if it happened two years ago. You know, we always say in this podcast, healing is, it's not linear. It's not linear. And, you know, you, one day you can be feeling like, Hey, I'm good. And then something happens, you see something and then not that you're back, but then you feel it again. Um, and, and I really want to share with our audiences that to be, you know, kind and patient with yourself. If, you know, if something like this triggers, you know, unresolved emotions. One of the things that you were mentioning about right now, children, I, I now want to move to children. What are the main symptoms? You know, I know a lot of parents listen to, to this podcast. So I'm wondering, what are the main symptoms of anxiety or stress in children? And what should parents be in the lookout for? And how can they help them, you know, identify the signs of stress and anxiety? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, oh, and I loved what you described because healing, we do, we, it cannot be rushed. We don't, we don't, we not, not in here, not our, that part of us will not, it doesn't work that way. Life is forceful enough already for that to happen inside of us. So I, I love that. And I want to affirm and echo that uh, message uh, because I, I love what you described right now. Um, as far as children, um, children, the thing about children is uh, they're, they actually, if we pay attention enough to them, they're very vocal. They, they won't know what they're describing, but it's sometimes the way they describe things. They, they ask questions that are a lot of times future oriented. 
what's going to happen with so-and-so? What's going to happen? What if this, like they describe it, like if we pay attention to their dialogue, sometimes they're describing it. Uh, But a lot of the times it's really, really, really somatic. It's kind of like stomach, stomach pains for no apparent reason. Uh, Parents take them to the doctor. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong. And they just kind of keep getting that over and over again. And sometimes it can feel like it, maybe they're a little bit hyperactive. They're restless. It's a, another, perhaps it's a sign of restlessness. There's just, there's something stored in their body that needs to be released. Um, so that's basically some of the signs, but typically they, they, they share it, but in very clear and concise ways that kind of give us those clues. There, there's something on their mind. Sometimes it's a need to be in charge and need to be in control. That's their way of feeling, uh, safe or safer. And now that you're saying that, because yes, children are very vocal. I I don't have any children, but I'm very close to my little cousins. They they love being in this room where I'm at right now. They love it. Um, I have a lot lot of toys around and they just love being here. Um, And they're very vocal. But I'm wondering, how can we help them, you know, cope? And how can we help them? you know, just, just come into terms with what they're feeling. How can we be very honest with them and have these conversations with, with children, uh, with teenagers, how's a parent, how can they, you know, go about anxiety in children? So basically what happens with children is the best way to take care of a child or a minor is to take care of ourselves first. That is really the essence of it. I love that. Because because basically what happens is that I do want to add elements to to a little bit more on anxiety. So anxiety can also be developed in childhood, actually. Basically, let's say we witnessed a a caregiver caregiver who experienced a lot of uh, anxiety. Children pay a lot of attention. They observe. They uh, they're listening because they're trying to understand how the world works. But what happens is that they adopt that internal system in themselves as well. That's what can, that's what may happen. So, for example, um, there some recommendations is if parents are listening to the news, making sure that children are not near, that they're not hearing that level of content is way outside their their understanding. The parents now can filter it for them in a way where it has a different message. Because if you notice, a lot of the news sometimes can leave us with fear versus hope. Yes. Parents, <laughs> uh-huh. So parents, yeah, there are some conversations that need to be had. Uh, had absolutely. But they want to leave it with a message of hope. But we are going to do everything. And this is why we're going to do this X, Y, or Z. This is what's going on as needed, whatever is helpful, anything that's not helpful, you don't add. And then basically uh, you, you instill hope. That's what children always need to be able to overcome things. Um, So yes, that's another element that comes to my mind. So when parents take care of themselves, meaning their own self-care, their own stress tolerance, their well-being, children, teens will be okay. That's the first step. 
and then really um, modeling a lot of the the tools that parents can use that are uh, healthy ways of coping for them as well. So maybe I can get into some of the coping skills here. Yes, or coping stuff. So kind of like I was describing, we want to begin with this, with with the body too. Just as, it, it, as some of the symptoms come up and show up in our bodies, we want to do the same thing. We want to take care of our body first. I remember hearing this beautiful saying that I believe they say, when we clear the body, we clear the mind. Um, so I was like, yeah, that's a great formula to use. I love um, that. <laughs> yeah. So basically what they they talk about, so I'll kind of go back connecting it. I was describing earlier that there's a charge to an experience that we have. Let's release it. Let's go exercise. Let's go for a walk. Let's go move. Help the body release that. And the best way to release and burn some of that adrenaline and cortisol is through exercise. Our body loves it. Um, so we're modeling that for children. Hey, vamos a caminar. Let's go for a walk. Let's go uh, move. Do something that is helpful for the body. Um, the next element, too, is sleep, making sure that there is a good, predictable routine. Adults, we like routine, too. Uh, children thrive on routine. It creates predictability. It helps us uh, feel that there is something to expect, uh, a sequence, a rhythm. We thrive on rhythms. Uh, so sleeping is part of it. Whenever, like I mentioned earlier, right, if we have a lot of thoughts going on, we might not sleep well. It makes us more likely to be our, our window of tolerance to be narrow, very, very irritable, very on edge to begin with. Eating well, moving regularly, like I had mentioned, um, and just really uh, drinking enough water, things that, that are going to be helpful in, in those ways. So that, that's what you can do with the body, but there are other things that can be helpful as well. I do see... And I, I guess because I, I experienced it with my own mother. Um, I love my mom and I know she does the best she can. Um, but I do see that, you know, they put their children first and that's their priority. And sometimes, you know, in motherhood, they might forget that their their individuality is important and that, you know, their own self-care is important. So what will you say to those mothers and, and, and fathers as well? What will you say to those parents that might having might be having a difficulty putting their their well-being first? The way I see it, right, um, I want to validate that first because I completely understand uh, that um, the, the barriers and how, how difficult it can be sometimes to feel that first come the children and then the adults, right? That's part of like uh, sometimes some, some implicit expectations that we feel while growing up, that that's the way of it. Um, however, I want to kind of pose it a little bit like this. What is the cost of not taking care of ourselves, what is the cost that it has for a child to see a parent irritable, stressed out, moody, yelling, um, getting upset for every little thing? If we really reflect on it, that can have a much larger cost on the child uh, because then that's that's going to be their referencing system. They're going to be referencing, referencing to that emotionally, cognitively, socially. Uh, so... I would like to kind of pinpoint it in that way and uh, consider that question. And then what would be the 
benefits. What would be the benefits of taking care of ourselves? So now we're looking at more strength based, the positive things that could, that children will learn and in, 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 um, adopt from seeing parents well-regulated, uh, responding uh, in a way that they feel more patient and kind. They're more likely to learn from experiences uh, versus the other way, because a parent can be in, uh, engaged, uh, irritable, or disengaged too. And, and uh, but this is really just kind of with a lot of, a lot, a lot, a lot of compassionate lens too, because it's difficult. This is United and Resilient. We'll be right back. Hello, I'm Bishop Mark Seitz. I've been asked to share my memories of that day, which is one, of course, I'll never forget, uh, August 3rd, Saturday, August 3rd of 2019. That day began very peacefully for me, a Saturday of quite unusual in my experience here because I didn't have any confirmations or masses or other celebrations and I was having a, a rather quiet easy morning when the phone rang and my communications director called it he happened to live right behind the Walmart in that neighborhood and he had been on his way to the store actually after having been delayed uh, he he was on his way and he saw that the parking lot was cut off, there were sirens and so on. He obviously could see that something was terribly wrong. He told me at the time that uh, there were rumors that there was a, a mass shooting and that there was were multiple shooters at the Cielo Vista and the Sams and so on. And uh, I just said, well, please, try and get me some more information and let me know. Uh, he called a few minutes later and he confirmed that there had been a mass shooting, multiple casualties, not much more information than that. And so I had to ask myself, well, what do I do in a situation like, like this? What, how can I help? And uh, it became clear to me right away that I wouldn't be able to follow my first instinct to go to the Walmart. I knew I wouldn't be able to get in. But then I thought of the hospital and uh, I also realized that there I probably would not be able to get easy access. So the thought came to me, perhaps the county judge is heading the same direction. Uh, he and I know each other a little bit. And, and so I called him and sure enough, he was heading for UMC. So we met there and he was very helpful in gaining me access to the hospital. I went to the emergency room and fairly shortly, they ushered me to the room of one of the victims who had died. Uh, I said a prayer for her, offered her a blessing and, and then went out trying to see if I could visit someone else. Uh, there were no others that I could visit in their rooms because they, the majority were, had, were taken right into surgery when they were brought in. So I asked if I could go and see the baby who was in children's. Uh, I was guided up to his room and uh, visited him. As you might remember, he had broken a finger or two and his hand was in a splint. He had a bruise on his head. And uh, I 
was amazed at how, how calm he was based on everything he must have been through. I decided to go to the center that was being set up for the families where they would wait for news about their loved one whom they thought was at, at the Walmart. And I had the opportunity there to be with some of those families, to wait and, and to pray. I was certainly struck by, by their faith and, and by, their, by, by the willingness that they had to remain calm in the midst of that storm. In the days to come, that sense would carry through. And I think I got had the opportunity to really get a taste of the uh, beauty of this community, to see the way that it came together. Already at that center, there were all kinds of donations coming in, you know, water and food and drinks and things like that. Uh, the next day we had a service at the park behind the Walmart. And what was announced on Sunday morning had 8,000 people present in the evening. It was just incredible. And the messages there were not messages of hate, uh, messages of revenge, as, as one might expect. They were messages that, uh, that said, we will not be like that man filled with hatred and racial prejudice that came to us. That is not El Paso and we will not allow him to make us that way. Uh, we are going to respond to his hate with love, with welcome, with mutual support for one another. That is El Paso. And I believe that um, our, our beautiful community is held true to that to this day. We're an amazing, wonderful community, and I'm proud to be a part of it. Now, going back to, you know, coping tools, Right. You know, if, if someone out there is listening and can identify, especially with, you know, the signs of stress that you already described um, and they're like, oh, yeah, I experienced this. Mm -hmm. I experienced the symptoms, especially we're doing right now, the pandemic. I experience anxiety whenever I go to a store. I think about August 3rd. I think about what happened. What are the tools that they can use to cope? And what are the first things that they can do to help themselves? Okay, got it. So um, I will say that every situation just depends too on what it is or what the trigger is and so forth. Um, I don't want to sound like I'm giving like a cookie cutter, right or wrong. There's everybody's very subjective. And, but I will see, I'll, I'll share some guidelines or some, some guidelines, scratch that, <laughs> some ideas that you could possibly use, whatever works best for you. Um, the first thing that comes to my mind, I want to share a little bit about cognitive overload for those individuals who experience a lot of intrusive thoughts, ruminating, overthinking. Uh, you want to release those. You want to give those a place um, and you want to release the cognitive overload just kind just the way we do with our body we want to mentally intellectually release it and some of the best ways to do that is by talking to someone to be heard kind of venting things out the safe space um, also journaling writing things down writing all the worries having even a container possibly that can hold all of that together so that it 
so that the brain, because whatever we resist or deny or avoid persists, right? So the brain will know, okay, uh, let's say, you know, um, you know you're, you're taking care of it. Uh, you're not ignoring this. You got this. The brain can kind of like back off from continuing to persist with some of those thoughts that are coming up. Um, so that's one of the things for the cognitive overload. Now, when it comes to, let's say, like the example that you described being at the store, or, or doing something, we're going to, uh, the first tool is coming back to our breath. So that's really because a lot of the times we might not have access to paper, a journal or someone, but we have access to ourselves. We have access to our first. So let's begin with us. And that is through our breath. Um, now, why? We need to activate the parasympathetic nervous system. Notice how beautiful we are as human beings. We were created not only with a fight or flight uh, response, but we were also created with a parasympathetic, something that helps us regulate, to calm down, to feel safe. And the only way to be able to stimulate that is through our breath physically. So that is a deep, 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 deep breath. It needs to go all the way to the vagus nerve, which is right uh, around our rib cage. And um, once we get to that, that, that helps it at least. Um, there are individuals who recommend the four square breathing. That is breathing for inhaling for four, holding it for four seconds, exhaling for four seconds, pausing for four seconds. Um, Dr. Daniel Amen, he has a different technique, which is inhale for, I think, five, hold for one, and then exhale for eight. The, the, the key to it, they say um, the relaxation is actually in our exhale, not in our inhale, which I think is interesting because I always thought the deeper you inhale, the more relaxed you are. But it says actually in the exhale that we actually um, become more um, regulated. So that's one tool, one technique that comes to my mind. And um, in, in social context, let's say we are in social context. One of the things that I really like, and this is from Dr. Amy Banks, is uh, let's say you're in a situation, bring somebody that you feel safe with. Let's say you're going to the store and you, your, your safety is your number one concern, but you want to go and that's something that you want to uh, work on, then, hey, you know what, I'm going to bring someone I feel safe with. That's going to help. That's a, now you're referencing to another social system, right? Somebody who is like a safe anchor, grounding person, too. I love what you're saying about, you know, bringing someone that makes you feel safe. I think I've, I've been very vocal with my friends as far as like what I'm dealing with. And I think I, one of my tools or coping techniques, knowing who my support system is and they know they, but, but not just like, Oh, you're my friend. You're my best friend. And I love you for it. No, they know that they are part of my support system. Having someone that makes you feel safe and someone, because really in reality, when you open yourself to people, you realize, and when you're honest and, vulnerable, you, you realize, Hey, I'm not alone. And I'm not the only one who's dealing with this. And I'm not the only one who, who's walking this journey there, you know, and I'm also part of support systems for other people, you know, and, and I love that, um, you know, having someone that makes you feel safe, is always important. Having someone that makes you feel that you're at home, even though you're not in a physical, you know, house, um, that's beautiful. Um, I wanted to ask you, Jasmine, what is your favorite coping method that personally outside of the job 
What is it that Jasmine does? <laughs> you know what? I do have to say I do not get any reimbursement payment or anything, but I use tapping. It's uh, this, this, you can download it. It's called the tapping solution. Like I'm in 10, I don't get anything for it. Uh, but it's basically, it's a tapping solution app that has scripts already that you can listen to. Um, and you basically tap meridian points in your body. And um, as you're tapping, you are acknowledging the truth of how you feel to transform it to something that is much more uh, adaptive, hopeful, and more in alignment with your with our intention. So I highly recommend it. I do it every morning. Um, what I love about it is that it really helps rewire our subconscious mind too. So it's really something that more, there's a lot of research on it, but it's growing more and more. I love that. My favorite coping through, uh, method, um, and I've shared this a couple of times now, I think is journaling. Um, I'm a person that really understands, well, not that I understand, but I, I connect myself very well with literature and, and, and words and, you know, how there are some people that wonderfully understand numbers. I just understand words. So it really helps me, you know, acknowledge what I'm going through and then seeing it face to face. Once I read it back and I'm like, oh, wow. Okay okay, this was just in my mind, but my reality is something different. And I'm glad that I was able, you know, how you said to release, to release in a way and leave it there, close the book, close the journal and keep going, keep with my healing journey. And now talking about healing journey, journaling has also helped me in very anxious moments. I, I just like, just write, 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 whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm, I'm, I'm going through. And then I go back, you know, one month later or, and you see your growth. And that's something very beautiful to see that, hey, you are taking one day at a time and you're taking steps towards healing. And, you know, there's no expiration date. You're just going to keep walking, keep walking, keep walking. So that's my favorite coping method. And now I'm thinking, um, what is your favorite coping method for children and teens now that we're talking about children and how we help them cope and I know we we mentioned it a little bit but you know just if we can share a few examples for our audience that way they can implement at their their homes uh, with children, um, there's it just varies. Um, for some children, they I have, there's a lot of variations that can be done. Of course, play is always the best way because they are releasing they're expressing, they're trying to understand their world. Um, but if you want to give them a tool, I always like to use the, the butterfly hug, which is a tool that we can all use as, even as adults. So basically it's just, you know, uh, crossing um, the thumbs and placing the palms over our, over our chest and then just very gently tapping back and forth. So when I introduce it to children, it's just kind of like breathing in, Noticing the sensations or, you know, I use language like notice that yucky feeling, notice that sadness, because for them, we're, we focus more on primary emotions, like the emotions from inside out. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it might you might connect it. Uh, some children like to know I'm OK, I'm safe. 
um, uh, I will get through this. Some They're very simple phrases for them too. Um, the one that I love to use uh, is uh, uh, bubbles. So just blowing bubbles. If you notice, they're reading it and then they blow. And they're just like, because literally you want to, you want to exhale as long as you can to be able to get as many bubbles, right? And it's so organic, natural, playful, and present. So that's one tool that I like to use. I uh, love for, that. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and then for teens, drawing, coloring, expressing it, colors, like those are the, there. Um, I like to incorporate a lot of Jungian uh, modalities where it's like, if I don't have the words, if I don't have the sentences, I can describe it through imagery. Perfect. And and I love what you're saying, Jasmine, that you said early on about when I asked you about your favorite coping method uh, to really acknowledge what works best for us. And it's all about, you know, listening to your body's needs. And one of the things that I've also learned in my own healing journey and, you know, dealing with anxiety myself is that sometimes journaling might help one day, but another day something else might be working for me. So it's really just listening. What do I need right now? What, what is it that I need this day, this this present moment that I'm facing anxiety face to face. Now, one of the things that I also think it's important to discuss, Jasmine, is how to help a family member or a loved one who who is dealing with anxiety. How can we have conversations with them? You know, because at the beginning, we don't want to be intrusive. We don't want to be we don't want to overstep. But at the same time, we love that person and we want to make sure that they're OK and we want to make sure that you know, we're part of this support system that I was speaking about. Um, so how can we help a loved one cope with anxiety properly? Okay, that, that's a very good question. And the, the one thing that comes up to mind, like, right away is typically to, to listen, to listen to listen to them, listen to their concerns. One um, kind of Going back to what I had described earlier about seeing things from an attachment lens and all that good stuff, one of the things that are antidotes to a lot of things that we go through, through a lot of human suffering, is to be heard. So beautiful, but that is something that sometimes doesn't occur with, uh, mm. on a day-to-day -day or when we need it the most, to be heard, um, to be seen to be understood, to be validated, to feel respected. I think that if we kind of go with that, that can definitely be something that can facilitate uh, support for family members. I will say that as much as uh, we want to help them I always use this mantra uh, because it, 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 there can come a point where it can be really difficult because we really witness somebody's autonomy to help themselves. There's so much we can do sometimes. And I want to I wanna add this. Um, so I want to encourage um, individuals, if you have somebody, um, it's not so much about us solving it for them or fixing it for them or rescuing them 
them from them, you know, whatever experiencing. But with the ingredients that I just described, listening, understanding, that can help them help themselves. That can be really, if that is, if we can do that for individuals like that, that is the best support that we can provide. Um, uh, no judgment. There are things that we can do that, that we, if we don't do this, that, that can help reduce things a lot, being critical, being judgmental, being very invasive, things like that. Um, now, I will say that if there are things that you are observing that are starting to impact you, whoever is trying to support, then yeah, you might want to consider maybe maybe consulting with a family therapist. Maybe there is a communication thing going on so that both or the, the support system or the family members can see how they're showing up in the relationship and how what they do is how they're how they impact one another and sometimes you need somebody else to kind of reflect that and witness that and say this is what I see going on between both of you perhaps but I just want to add that mm -hmm. I love that I really love that yeah because it's, it's not about solving I know we want to because we love that person so much that we just want to take them away from a, a difficult situation I I was in a in a relationship where this person, dealt with anxiety and I was dealing with anxiety at the same time. I think a lot of people can relate to this. Um, but one of the things that really helped uh, this relationship at the moment was that to one of the things that helped was to ask, what do you need from me at this moment? Do you need for me to listen? Do you need space? Do you need company and just being silent. What is it that you need for me? And I know that helps. What helps me is if someone asks me, what do you need from me at this moment? Is there something that I can do to help you? And like I said, going back to my support system, my support system knows that that's one of the first questions that they need to ask. Like, what is it that they, what do you need, Mariana? Do you need space? I'm like, yes, I need space. I just need to be on my own for a second or no, I really need to talk about this. Mm -hmm. So that, that I, I love that. And that's really helped me. And I know it has helped a lot of people um, that I love. And now that I, I, I think that anxiety and stress indicators can take more than one episode. Jasmine, would you agree with me? I think it has so much and so many that we can grasp from. Um, but unfortunately, we're, we're heading to, to the end of this conversation. And I wanted to ask you if a family member or a loved one or someone out there that's listening is suffering from anxiety, where can they get more information? Um, how can they start their healing journey? Um, I guess some of the uh, call to action items that we can provide to our audience. Okay. So um, one of the things that um, comes to my mind is uh, uh, seeking a licensed uh, professional, somebody who uh, may specialize in anxiety, anxiety symptoms, anxiety disorders. Um, there, there are so many different modalities to use to practice. Um, and kind of going back, if you were to choose to find a provider, um, a psychiatrist, um, um, a mental health counselor, psychotherapist, uh, therapist, um, I think that 
finding the right fit for you is really is really what matters. Uh, I need to emphasize the relationship between the client and the provider is 100%. so essential. Mm-hmm. We're not meant for everyone. And I think that that really is important, uh, but we are for someone. We are for someone. So each provider has their own style, tools, and uh, uh, training and competence to be able to facilitate some of the um, some of the of the relief that we're seeking because really that's what providers do. They help relieve the, 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 the suffering that we, we go through um, at times. And really um, just uh, remind our community that, you know, help is out there. And sometimes we might feel that, Oh, it's going to cost me so much money. And really there, there, there are options for you. And if you want to speak to a professional, there are very options. I know the FRC, you know, has a lot of options for anyone who who wants to speak to a professional. If you're feeling anxious, if you feel that August 3rd impacted you in any way, directly or indirectly, there's help for you. So please reach out um, because you're not alone in this path. Um, Now, my last question, Jasmine, I always like to ask my guests, what is the message of hope that you would like to give to our community? Um, I cannot claim this. I cannot take credit for this. Um, may, may your hope be greater than your fears. And this is from Jessica Ortner from the Tapping Solution. And that's something that um, we as human beings, eh, I want you to think of hope as your sun, as your light, as the one thing that wakes you up in the morning we want to cultivate that notice how you wake up in the morning and you go to bed you go to sleep and you rise up again so just like the sunset comes up every day that's hope we can reference even our own nature to to get in touch with our with our sense of hope so may it be greater because life can be hard Life can be difficult and there are things that will present itself, but there is resiliency in us. There is courage. There is strength. That was beautiful, Jasmine. Thank you. (laughs) I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. It was wonderful speaking to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mariana. I appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for everything you're doing for the community. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope this content serves you and your loved ones as well. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do not forget to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at El Paso United FRC. To learn more about our commitment to the community's long-term recovery, please join us on the next episode.